Good to see you this morning, church. Excited about this day's word. And as I was considering our new series we're going to be engaging in, I was thinking about how, how life is, how we go from, from one day to the next. We, we wake up in the morning, we go through our day, we go to sleep at night, we get up, we go through our day, we go to sleep at night, we get up, and every one of those days just continues to build over a long period of time. And at some point, we go from here all the way to over there. Often, it seems like it's mundane. It's the same routine, but actually, things are always taking place, and life is being lived. One of the reasons we come to church is because we want the mind of God. We want the mind of God because we recognize that our thoughts matter. Our thoughts turn into actions. Our actions turn into habits. Our habits turn into lifestyles. And our lifestyles turn into destinies. Things happen. Other people, because of our lifestyles, are affected by that. People around us, uh, our spouses and, and our children. So it's, it's very important, uh, these, uh, the beginning point of how we think. And, and it, it lends to a question, uh, does life have meaning? When, when you do a quick um, Google search and go to Wikipedia, it says uh, the meaning of life is one's potential and ideas. It, it says it's to evolve or to achieve biological perfection, to seek wisdom and knowledge, to do good or to do the right thing. If I were to ask you, life to me is, and you were to fill in that blank, what would you say? The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, made one very succinct sentence about life. And he said, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're going to be engaging in a new series Starting this morning, our series is going to, we're going to go through the book of Philippians. And the series is called Be Encouraged. Uh, our sermon this morning is titled, It's a Win-Win Situation. We're going to find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at the end of verse 18. Uh, Deacon Ray preached a month or so ago about the first couple of verses in Philippians. So I'll be picking it up from the end of verse 18, reading through verse 26. This morning we'll be reading out of the ESV. So if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. It reads this way. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that my full courage now as Always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, sh which, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, 
for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is bread to our souls, that it is refreshing, that it gives direction, that it gives hope, Lord, that it brings life. As we consider this concise statement that Paul made, one who wrote so many words inspired by the Holy Spirit that you would have him pen it as your very heart in your words, Lord. Have us to think through that statement as it relates to us, Lord, and move us in the direction where we can state firmly to live is Christ and to die is gain. Would you, would you do that in us today? Would you continue that process that you already begun in us, Lord? We always come with an expectation when we approach your word, looking as children for our needs to be satisfied with your daily bread. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This um, epistle from Paul is his only letter that was written to a church that was not corrective. What, one of the things you must know is in every church um, there are issues. So often when Paul would leave, issues would occur, and he would write letters to address those very issues. So one of the reasons churches have issues is because there's people in them. There were people in those churches as well. But this particular letter, Paul wrote as a letter of encouragement. And, and wanting the church to know, live out your life in Christ with great joy. The um, Philippian church was in a colony of Rome. Um, it was actually the first church that planted in Europe. And Paul wrote this letter from prison. And he was addressing the saints of Christ Jesus in Philippi, also the overseers and the deacons. You know, one of the things we recognize in life is titles matter. If you're called dad, it matters. Um, whatever title you have, it matters. What a beautiful title for the people of God to have where we are called saints of Christ Jesus. Uh, it, it's very beautiful because we've all heard the expression, he's no saint. Well, none of us started out with that title. But by God's grace, we have received that title because as God saved us from our sins, Jesus imparted his righteousness unto us that we may be called saints of Jesus Christ. It's not only that we didn't start out as saints, neither did Paul. Paul didn't start out as a saint. So how is it that Paul came to the place from wherever his starting point was to get to the place to say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because we all want to truly, as believers, be able to confess that in our lives and it really be what we believe. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12, says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, 
because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I receive mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Wow, what a powerful statement. Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. He, he states that he was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. If we think on who we were, we can have that list or even a longer one. But because of God's goodness, he has ransomed his people, rescued them, and is now using them where Paul says that he received this ministry because God considered him faithful. Wow. If we know Paul's story, we know that Paul was complicit in the murder of Stephen. Stephen being the first martyr of the church. And Paul, by the end of his life, would become a martyr as well. Paul, over his 35-year ministry, would be imprisoned at least three times. And it's stated that in church history that he was decapitated at the end of his life. His life started from a place of privilege. Uh, at one point in, uh, in chapter 3 of Philippians, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, he starts to speak about not having confidence in the flesh. And he said, if, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, I could surely have confidence in the flesh because I was circumcised on the eighth day from the nation of Israel, the tribe of, ben of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. This is what Paul was able to say about himself. That is part of why he said he was formerly an arrogant man. Believing what he was born into and the privilege that he had and, and what he had become was in the will of God and that he uh, was pleasing to God because of his human efforts to be zealous for God. And he um, found himself going out to persecute the church and had an encounter with God where he would be struck down from his horse on that Damascus road and questioned about what he was doing and blinded for a season. And God brought him through a process. After Paul had this encounter with God, God sent him away 
for some years to prepare him actually for what he had in store for him. One of the things that we're well acquainted with, especially in this church, is Philippians 1, verse 6, because it's repeated often at the end of service, that the good work that God has started in us, that he would bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. In the same way that Deacon Frankie was saying about God uh, building us as a church, Paul went through a process like each one of us is going through where it brought him from being a murderer and a blasphemer and one that was going against Christ and by his grace, God would bring him to the point where he could say to live is Christ and to die is gain. He is doing that in each believer's life where he is bringing us through a process so we can be encouraged. The text says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is in prison, and for a long time, Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel, knowing that, that Rome was the center of everything at that time. And if he could preach the gospel there, some of the most influential people would hear it. And there would be a potential for it to greatly spread. So it was his desire to get there. And God had placed that on his heart. But the way life would have it, just like in our life, he didn't know he would be there in chains. He didn't know he would be there imprisoned. And at a certain point, that's exactly what took place. But even in that situation, not knowing whether he was going to live or die, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. He, he also uh, believed that the thoughts and prayers of the church was of great effect. And by those prayers and through those prayers, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that he would be delivered. But he also makes a statement here. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage that I will always honor Christ, whether in life or death. What Paul is saying here is, as the pressure mounts, my desire is not to falter. As I'm coming into this season where I don't know whether I'm going to live or die, he had emotions just like all of us. One of the things that we must not do is allow our emotions, anxiety, or fear to grip us in a way where it paralyzes us or where it changes the course of our decision-making when we know what to do is right. Fear cannot be our motivation for not doing the right thing. And what Paul is saying here, my situation is real. I may live and I may not live but I want to stand firm and be who God has called me to be in the midst of this situation. As he was 
writing to the church in the early part of this chapter, even expressing how the gospel was going out even in his chains. So, although he had this pressure, he declares for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. In the Greek, it, it, it's actually a little different, and it's, a, it's stronger. It says, for me to live, Christ. For me to die, gain. In, in, in other words, everything about my life and living is Christ. He's not making this statement from sitting on a beach somewhere sipping a margarita. No, he is in prison with the real threat of dying and even being in prison, being in an uncomfortable situation, but recognizing that his life was not his own that he so desired for God's work to be done, no matter what the situation was, that for him to live Christ. Can you say that? And, 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 and many of us cannot. For a very long time, as a believer... I was walking with Jesus, but he was the co-pilot. He, he could sit in the seat next to me, and, and I was going to navigate the vehicle. And, and, in other words, I was going to determine which way I would go, how fast I would go, when I decided to put on the brakes, when I wanted to make the left or the right turn. And in the midst of that, because I was a believer, my expectation was, Jesus, still be with me. I'm making a left. Don't go anywhere. Stay, stay in the vehicle. That is um, different from to live Christ. It, it, it is not until we come to the place where we say, Jesus, you're the pilot. You're the author and finisher of my faith. The song we sang, you're the one who puts breath in my lungs. You're in control. When, when, I, when I thought he was the co-pilot, he was in control. I, I, I was delusional. Not, 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 not me placing him in the right place in, in my life. No, God is sovereign over all. But because his loving, patient kindness, his long suffering to even allow me to think for a millisecond that I was in control. Re recognize God loved you before you even acknowledged him. He, he was taking care of you before you even thought of him. When you were being rebellious, he loved you. So, so when you think you're driving, he loves you. And he's bringing you through a process. But that process must be him in total control and us in total submission. What, what, what actually brings that about? What, what brings that about is trust. God, you're all wise and I have limitations. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts as far as the heaven is from the earth. When we come to that place, we're on our way. But we could even think, hey, um, yes, that's true, but 
what you want or require from me is not in line what I want and what I desire. So, although you're smarter than me, I still want to do what I want to do. We, we, we all struggle with that. But we, we got to get to the place where our trust in who he is, we recognize, no, what he wants for me is best for me. And out of love, out of closeness, out of trust, I've got to turn it all over to you, Lord. And, and it usually works out two ways. One, I keep doing the things that I'm doing and coming up short. That, that, that's the one side. When we come to the realization, my way just doesn't work. And, 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 and when we come to that place, we say, okay, I will put my trust in Jesus uh, sometimes. Yes, I want the blessings. I want to know him. I actually love him. But sometimes I want to turn and then go in the other direction. Sometimes I want to make a right when he's prompting me to make a left. Sometimes I know the right thing to do and I refuse to do it. When Paul is saying for me to live Christ, he has come to this place through all his trials, through all his dilemmas, that my life is God. Whatever he requires of me. If I'm going to die in this cell, glory to God. If, if I'm going to be released, my mission is to continue to work for God. While I'm in this cell, I'm going to proclaim the name of Christ. Matter of fact, let me write this letter because I'm so encouraged about who God is. Let me send this out to the church and encourage them. That, that, that is, that's supernatural. Because we so turn inwardly in our circumstance. Can, can I be real with y'all? Even for me, when, when like big things happen in my life, uh, negative things or what I consider negative, I, I, uh, I deal with them pretty well. It's, it's like those smaller things where I'm like, for real, God? So, so last week we had our time of prayer and fasting. So I'm going to take my daughter to school, and Jesse gives me a list of her desires for us to do. Some of those things I'm going to agree with, some of them I'm not. I think about it on my drive, what I'm actually going to do from her list and, and what my desires from my list are. And Mondays is our day off. So I'm driving Gloria to school. I get back, Jessie's sick. I mean, she's really sick. And for hours, I mean, she's sick. And I'm saying to God, I'm supposed to at least have two days off, and it always turns into one. Can I have my one day, like for real? And then, why most of you don't have my cell phone number, but you know, quite a few do, people will text me, and they'll always say, I know it's your day off, but. <laughs> so that's always happening, and to, to be fair, the people that have done it, it's legitimate. It's just not like, I have this theological question that I was pondering last night. It's not that. It's something real. And then um, this Friday, I started feeling sick, and we didn't have something to do this one Saturday. And Friday, I started feeling sick. And yesterday, I was in the bed all day and prepping for today. That's why, why my voice sounds a little funny. And I'm like, for real, God? 
I'm saying that while I'm preparing this message and Paul is in jail talking about to live Christ and to die gain. And I'm like, are you really even in a position to preach this message? That you're complaining about a cold or something? We all deal with that. For him to make this statement, it ties deeply into his relationship with God and his life is not about his advancement. His life is about the advancement of the gospel. And the text continues, I am, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, I shall not, I, I shall choose, I, I cannot tell which I should choose. Not that he has the option of choosing himself. What he's saying is, I don't even know what my personal preference is. I, I, I would rather go and be requested because it's better. But, but I'm torn because my time here, God still has some things for me to do. Uh, what is this fruitful work? That fruitful work is being about God's business. The way of Jesus is the way of service. And, 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 it, and it's not about us. So, so as we think about our lives, we, we come to this place where we say, what is life about? Well, life is about relationships. First and foremost, your relationship with God. And that's what Paul is stating here when he's saying, for me to live, Christ. Then life is about our relationships with people. So, so when Paul is saying here, I'd rather be with Jesus, but I will be here and continue to do what God has called me to do. It, it, it ties into last week's message when Jesus is saying, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. This is Paul's statement of not my will, Lord, but yours be done. If, if it's for me to minister from this jail cell or whatever other thing I have to do for the glory of God, for me to live Christ. But then he's saying, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better here in the Greek is a double superlative. It is very much better. It does not even compare to staying here on earth. I desire to be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. If you are truly convinced to be with God is better, the only motivation for staying is God be glorified. Him not knowing his fate, he even viewed prison as an opportunity for the gospel. A relationship to God and to people and to our purpose, if one of those components is missing, none of it works. If 
We don't have a relationship with God. Then our relationship with people is going to be distorted, and we cannot know our purpose because the creator of all things is the one who gives us our purpose. If we claim to have a relationship with God and we don't love people, the Bible is very clear. How can you say you love me that you've never seen, but you don't love your brother? If you have a relationship with God and a relationship with people and it's the right relationship, your purpose is going to be, God, my life is yours. And it's going to turn back to worshiping God by loving him and loving people. So these things are necessary. There was a survey, they asked a bunch of 70-year-olds, uh, what would you change in your life if you could do it again? Not one of them said, I'd go make more money. That's never going to be the answer. It all ties back into relationship. What I was called to do, the people I was called to be around, the relationship that I have with God. Obedience results from a relationship with God. But obedience will never create or earn that relationship. That's not how that works. Paul came to this place of great obedience because he trusted God, because he walked with God, because he saw time and time again through his ups and through his downs that God was at work, that God was with him, and he was convinced, God, it's all about you. And then to desire to leave and know it's better also comes with a great confidence in God. Some of us live and we live for God and believe to live Christ. But we don't want to die. Like Bob always says, Everyone wants to get to heaven. Nobody want to die. Paul is saying, if I die in this situation, it's better. Are you convinced of that? He knew his fate wasn't in the hand of Caesar. Although he was a Roman citizen and had certain rights, if Caesar says off with his head, it's off with his head. But the heart of the king is in God's hands. His life could not be taken unless God said, your work here is done. It's time to come home. And to come home is better than staying here. You can come up, worship team. One of the things that um, we're praying for in this year of abundance, that we would desire holiness, consecration, being set apart for God. But that is only going to come through intimacy. The, the struggle for the believer is we have redeemed souls, but we live in an unredeemed body. So, so, so that war that wage, rages within us is due to, I want to do the right thing. My flesh is always pulling me in a selfish direction. The only antidote for that on this side of eternity is intimacy. The only way you're going to be holier is by being in the presence of the one that's holy. The, the only way you're going to be more consecrated, meaning set apart for him, 
is by spending more time with him. Because everything else has a message. And the message is pull away from him. In Revelation 22, it says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. So, so when we make the statement that I am sure, that I am confident that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. As we thought about Paul and who he was, and who he became, and come to the place to be able to say, to live, Christ, to die, gain. God is doing that in each one of his children. He is bringing us through a process. And our desire is to know him more to press in further, to get to that point where our confidence level is up so high that when I have a cold and on my one day off that I don't say, God, really? That's a far place from this man being in jail and being an encouragement to the church and witnessing to those that are next to him that he could have seen as enemies. Every person that was attached to him, like Brother Thomas said in youth the other day, he was like, let me tell you about Jesus. That's where we need to be. In the midst of our situation, to live Christ, to die, gain. When you take me home, I am pleased, Lord, to leave this place. But every single day you have me here, I'm going to live for you. We have to continue to go boldly into the throne room of God. It tells us in Hebrews that since then we have a great high priest one that petitions God for us, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He came in the form of a man, and he went through the things that we have gone through. He went through it without sin. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for what? To help in time of need. When are we in time of need? Always. 
We, we need to continually go to the Lord. We gave out a slip of paper on Wednesday and also on Friday at Bible study and youth group. And we have them here for those who did not fill it out. And we're asking you to put your petitions down that you have for this year. Put your name on it. I'm the only one who's going to read them, and I'm going to read and pray over each and every one of them. Believing that this is a year of abundance for God's people in this place. Starting with, God, I need to know you more. I, I need to be in your presence. I need more holiness, God. I want to be consecrated about your business, and that's going to happen as I am abundantly in your presence. And it would be me deepening my intimacy with you. And, and due to that, strongholds are going to be broken in my life, whether it's a habit or an attitude or whatever that thing may be. We're praying in this year of abundance for restored relationships, for relationships to be strengthened, for the prodigal to come home, for marriages to be strengthened, for marriages to be restored, and all our other relationships. And for those that are single to press in with God and know that they are whole and complete. We're praying in this year of abundance for the harvest, for seeds that we've already planted, that God would bring about the increase. And we're praying for provision for the church, that God would continue to bring gifted people and put them in positions so that the church would be strengthened and blessed and go out and do what God has called us to do outside of these four walls, that God would continue to bless financially the church in our households so that we would be about his business so that we would not be encumbered in having to work hour after hour after hour. But even if we do that in that place, just like Paul in that prison, that would be where we would minister. So don't leave without taking one of those slips and filling it out and saying, God, these are the things that I'm petitioning you for in this year. Because we can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Would you stand so I can pray for you? Father, we, we thank you. We thank you because as we've heard this text, about to live as Christ and to die, gain. We desire to be able to say that with such a confidence, Lord, that every day that you give us, we would live for you, no matter the circumstance, knowing that you are at work. And when we cross over that river. Everybody else is going to have to wait. Grandma and auntie and those that went before us, we want to see you face to face. If the road is paved with gold, I, I don't care. I want to I see your face, Lord the author and the finisher of our faith. 
the one who has kept and sustained us, the one who is coming back for us, the one who has taken the blasphemer, the arrogant, the proud, the filthy, and washed them in the precious blood of the Lamb. Father, we pray for anyone that is in this room right now. That this day that you would have a divine appointment for them. That the words spoken would land differently from any word that they've ever heard in their life. Because the Spirit of God has awakened something in them, dropped the scales from their eyes, unclogged their ears. They've heard truth. And today they recognize, I need Jesus. I need to repent, turn around, and bow before him. Would you do that in hearts this morning, oh God? you bring people to come alongside them, to open up their understanding to your word? Would you fill them with your spirit, oh God? Would they declare from the mountaintops, Jesus is Lord, and he is my Savior. He is almighty God, and yet he's my friend. Father, we so thank you for this day. We look forward to being able to declare, to live Christ, to die, gain from the depths of our souls, Lord. We would walk that out. We petition you for these things. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you, church. Don't forget to pick up a slip and fill it out. Let's meet in the lodge together and spend some time in fellowship. And if that's you, would you come over to me and let's pray together before you leave this place. If you would like to surrender to the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you on Wednesday night, family.